This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Laura Lee Smith. She is a real estate agent in the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding areas. And if you're in the market to buy or sell a home in that area, do yourself a favor and give Laura Lee a call or text and start a conversation with her. It's free of charge. And if you don't like what she has to say, you can move on to the next agent. But I'm sure that you'll know what we found out. And that is she is honest, trustworthy and hardworking and everything you need when you're making such a big investment in your future and buying or selling a home. So call or text her at 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. Also, my friend Danny has started his own business, and it's called C5 Mobile RV Repair. Go over to his Facebook page, like the page, and let him know that the podcast sent you. He would appreciate that, and we would appreciate that as well. If you want to support the podcast monetarily, go to 95adventures.com and check out any of the cool custom coffee blends that we have in stock over there. If you would like to support the podcast the most important and free of charge way, that is like, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes, and then any of the episodes that you enjoy, like this one, screenshot it and repost it on your social media. We really appreciate that, and it helps out so much. Tag us. Don't tag us. Just know that we appreciate you for doing that right there. This episode is with Chacho Taylor. He is a branding and marketing business owner. He has lived a whole lot of life. He's got some crazy stories, even his parents dying at a young age. I don't want to give away too much because I really enjoy the conversation and I really want to let him tell it. So without any further delay, enjoy Chacho Taylor. Now we're recording. (laughs) Okay. All right. So yeah, so I guess I can start there. So you were saying that you had, that you have a coffee line, yeah. And so I was, I was relating to the fact that Tate Fletcher, who is Mr. Caveman Coffee, yes, uh, was, is a good friend of mine. But the way I got to know him was after I came back home from college, I couldn't get a job. Uh, I was a designer in New Mexico, so that's kind of rough. And uh, I was working at my grandmother's restaurant, basically, you know, just running the register. And uh, Al Lovato showed up and asked me if I would be willing to go do some sparring with his guys, uh, not to be confused with Al Crane, that's the jiu-jitsu guy. Al Lovato's a boxing coach here in New Mexico. And so I went ahead and did that. So I was training quite a bit, but uh, I'd always see the jiu-jitsu guys and it was really interesting to me. So um, one day I got the courage to drive down the street and walk into Al Crane's place. And that's where I met Tate Fletcher and Isaac Valley Flag and Fletcher Seavers and Henry Martin. All, all these guys, a lot of these guys fought in the UFC and stuff like that. But we were all kind of just learning jujitsu at that point from Al Crane. And uh, it was amazing. So the first T-shirt that Tate ever did for a fight, I designed for him. Uh, he gave me some lunch money for it. And uh, we went and, and he did this fight. I think it was a King of the Cage fight or something like that. And uh, and that was kind of like the start of that for me. Um, and then also like creating brands within subcultures and trying to blow those things up and then, you know, kind of turn into the merch thing. So... I've had a ton of projects that way. One that Tate did is coffee, so that's awesome. You're doing the coffee deal. It's 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 a good good move. I should I, I like that. Well, I just love coffee. I actually used to order the caveman coffee all the time. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I just love coffee all the way around, like order beans, do whatever. Um, me and my wife both just love coffee. So I was like t-shirts and trying to think, it's like, everybody has t-shirts. What can I do? Like that? I like, like, I wonder how much it is to just start up your own coffee stuff. And I looked into it. I was like, it's not that bad. So I'd rather do that, do something that I'd love to do than to like just something just for kicks. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, get it. I didn't want to waste my time with something just for trying to make a buck than right. doing something that I love to do. And also the cool thing is with like a product like that, like a consumable product, now your merch can have merch. <laughs> that's true that's really true that's it Some... so because now you can rep it out with t-shirts hats like all kinds cups like all kinds of stuff they rep the merch right so that's kind of like a cool thing about a consumable product instead of just another t-shirt yeah, yeah. I, I learned that after like some people told me that after like oh yeah you know and i made cups like a like a bison cup with it on there and some other stuff you know like like little travel mugs or whatnot with the yeah. logo, but um, it's just fun, man. I'm having a, a a blast. It took me what? I'm almost forty. I'll be forty in September. Okay. And and I'm like, I just kind of got started. I've always wanted to own my own thing. I grew up in a family-owned business that we we did a like it was a successful business, and then some things happen, twists and turns, and you know it ends up you know not not around. Yeah. Um, for. You know, an attorney messed up on some paperwork and the sale, and they just crashed. So, um, right. and but life takes you all sorts of directions. Like I wouldn't be in the town I'm in. I wouldn't have met my wife. You know, if none of this stuff had happened. So I'm not complaining about it. It's just I've always wanted to go out on my own, and then this just like I'm just now getting started doing a little side hustle that just that's made me better at my like regular job. It's made me better at a bunch of other things. So it's just kind of cool that like, Oh man. And then I thought about it. My grandpa was 45, I guess somewhere around there when he started the food service that, you know, that was really successful. Uh, my other grandpa started all of his businesses that were really successful when he was in his, you know, early to mid forties. I'm like, Oh, life just starts right about now. Right. That's a funny point yeah yeah like i don't know like i i moved quick into life like my my me and my brother were raised by my grandparents because my mom and my dad were both bad drug addicts super violent i mean it was just a a really rough situation and like new mexico is is kind of a rough place and like the farther north you go the rougher it gets really yeah, it really is, it's, and and it's a wild, wild west out here, and and so like from like Espanola North and in that area, there's a ton of heroin, like to the point where it's an epidemic, to the point where me and my brother and my son are the only males left in that side of my family. The rest died of overdoses. Whoa! Like. My dad died of an overdose. My uncle died of an overdose. Like it's 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 really a rough thing, and so we were kind of saved. Not not kind of. My grandparents saved our lives, and uh, and they're the ones that ended up raising us. But they were both entrepreneurs in a way. Like my grandfather was in politics, and he did two terms as lieutenant governor. He was uh, the youngest state representative in the history of our country. 
I mean, just an amazing man. And my grandmother owned restaurants, and like, she was the bread earner, and she was the hustler, and like, so that's 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 what I came to like grow up with. Or the other part of my family where like my parents sold drugs, did drugs, like shot at people, like you know what I mean, like that kind of life. So seeing those two parallels, like I understood where I wanted to be in life, but at the same time, like going and getting a job, I had no idea how to do that. Like I didn't know what that was. I still kind of don't. And I had a job in corporate America for about 12 years, but it was literally the most miserable time of my life. And I was the creative director for a $2 billion company in Manhattan. Like I had an amazing job that any designer would feel like they reached the peak of their career. They'd be like, I did it. And I was just like, how do I make a move so I don't have to do this? And it was just that conformity, like I didn't fit. And uh, thank God I got fired by a lady. I got fired by a lady who had just taken over a VP of marketing. She was in that job for less than a year. She fired me, hired her best friend. I had built that brand through acquisition from about a $32 million brand to a $2 billion brand. And within months, like she came in, clean house, fired me. And I was shocked. I lost a whole bunch of stocks. Like it was rough. And and then I all of a sudden I was poor. But uh, that was three years ago. And I was like the, the best thing that like, thank God. So now like, I'm 42 now, and I swear, like, I feel probably 10 years younger than I did five years ago, stuck in that job. Like, my life is a whole different story, and it's just, I got lucky, because I would have probably been scared and stayed there if that wouldn't have happened. That does happen a lot, man, where, like, and I've been in the same spot where you get scared to leave because, I mean, you got bills, you got income, I mean, whatever it is, family, kids, you name it. Like, that's something everybody goes through, I think. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Like, and, you know, and I did make good money, but it wasn't a service-based industry. So, like, I'll give you an idea. Like, okay, so if you're an art or creative director for a business that's based on sales, you're kind of important. And you'll take care of the brand and you'll do all those things and that'll be a big deal. But if you're the creative director for a product-based company, that's a whole different story. So, like, you're a creative director for a Ford. You're a creative director for Honda or even a smaller company. You're a creative director for, say, like, giant bicycles. You are making really good money. You're killing it. You're on top of the world. And so my plan was, like, the whole time, like, oh, I'm going to make this lateral move. Um, but the problem is, is, like, the creative directors in those companies – they die there. Like, they don't go anywhere because <laughs> they know that position is valuable. So, for me, it was just like, I got fired. I got in my truck. I drove to the top of the mountains. I looked down at Albuquerque, and I was just like, all right, well, nothing but space and opportunity. Realized I was wasting time on this whole little truck voyage. Drove back home, got on the phone, and got to work. And I started a company called Paper Plane, a brand new marketing company. And in the first year, I think we made like 150 grand. It wasn't huge. Um, I brought on a partner. She's amazing. We worked our butts off. 
and like we just nailed the uh, Albuquerque.gov website, which is a huge site. Um, we've branded Rucker Stadium. I have a brand that's on NASCAR right now, like this year. Uh, we did the United brand for the new USL team here in New Mexico. So like, it's so possible. You just have to like take the jump and realize like, you're not going to starve as long as you're willing to put in the work. And even, that's, that's what I did. <laughs> even the, like, it's crazy. Even though it's just beginning though, 150 grand to start out seems good to me for a branding company. Like and it seems know, pretty but, decent yeah, as a beginning. Our, our, our investment was my computer. So I, I invested about five grand and that's all I had. And honestly, that's not true. It's a $5,000 computer that a photographer friend that I have spent plenty of money with throughout the years. He heard what happened and I told him I was looking for a computer and he gave it to me for like 1400 And I was just like, thanks, man. So that's what I had. I bought that computer. Where I was lucky that is that in those 12 years I had made enough relationships in the corporate world that when I got on the phone, people were actually excited. And they were like, oh, wow, yeah, that sounds great. So like, the first website and brand I did out the like right out of the gate was uh, John. He's a public speaker. He's a big public speaker, actually. Um, oh, let's see. He rolls with Mike McCain, and his name is John. What is his last name? We'll have to remember it. Yeah. But he uh, he's a uh, Hell's Angels. He's a retired pilot from the Hell's Angels. And his whole motto is glad to be here. And, uh, and he kills it. And so he needed a new brand done. And, uh, I got a hold of him because we hired him to speak at a summit that I branded and designed. And so he loved that. And boom, that was like a website and a brand done. And it was good. It was like close to 20 grand. So then from there, you know, I just like moved into the next one and then into the next one. And before you know it, the year was done and I hadn't been evicted from my house and I still had my, <laughs> <laughs> and then there, there was ups and downs. Like 2019 was rough, but we are fishing in much bigger ponds and I didn't realize I, we won the RFP on the city. So when we won that RFP, I was like, Oh, we'll start work tomorrow. Like, this is great. We won. It took a year to start that project. So, and then I talk to people, and they're like, oh, that's not too bad. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. So there's a learning curve there. But, man, even if it's off $200 logos, like, on the side or, like, one way or another, I figured out how to get through every month. And now, you know, like, I can't say I've made it, but we're making it. So, like, you just love, like, branding stuff, the whole process of it. Like, you enjoy making all these things and – and yeah, like creating like, something uh, from nothing? That's it, right there. Anytime I can create something from nothing, um, I really love it. And when it's to solve a problem, that's when I can kill it. Like, I love art, but I'm not as matured in the art space as the design space. And I think it's because it's missing the problem, right? Like, Without the problem, the solution is, is, is kind of interesting. So I do do art, but I do it to like 
keep myself sharp. Um, but I just soon like create a brand for a chapstick line and throw it on Instagram and see if any of them sell to keep myself sharp. <laughs> and like in today's world, you can do that. Like I can go create a clothing line tonight, put it on a website, have it on Instagram for 40 bucks and something will sell or it won't. And it'll cost me that much. That's a whole different world than like my first brand I created was a company called Vivons. They're a shoe company. And our first shoe show was just under $70,000. And that wasn't including the cost of me creating the brand, the traveling to these manufacturers, like all of those things. And that gentleman didn't sell one pair of shoes at that show. Oh, man. And so then he said to me, he said, well, what went wrong? And I told him, well, your shoes are ugly. And he said, well, why do you say that? And I said, well, you went to the manufacturer and you picked them up right off the wall. I said, so there's no demographic. There's no problem solved. You didn't find a niche. You're, you're not, I mean, there's nothing there. And he said, well, you think you can do better? And I said, yes. I was like 21 years old. I said, yes, a complete lie, because I had never designed a shoe in my life. And he said, mm. and he said, all right, you have two months and, uh, no, one month, and I need 20 sandals. And I said, cool, I need to go to Miami, and I need to go to Scottsdale. And he said, for what? And I said, to research, because it's middle of winter, right? You, you always design a, a season ahead. And he said, all right, so he did it. He sent me to Miami for a few days. He sent me to Scottsdale for a few days. I drew shoes for four days. I came home. I got to work. After about comping like 300 different pairs of shoes, we fell on like 50. We jumped on a plane. We went to Guadalajara, Mexico, Leon, Mexico, um, met with the manufacturers. They all hated me because I was younger than them and I was from the U.S. And it took it didn't take me long to win their trust. Once they figured out I could speak Spanish, they stopped talking trash about me in Spanish. <laughs> but uh, within three years, we had 300 stores, including Neiman Marcus, on that line. And that was kind of my – and so I was designing everything. And that was like my start into the development of product, brand, everything from nothing to something. And uh, – and I had no idea how cool what I was doing was like I was hanging out with the diesel models at the shoe shows, the sketcher models. I was like, and to me it was just another day at the office. Like, Hey, what's up guys? I was like getting opportunities to design for Birkenstock. Uh, that was around the time the Converse was purchased by Nike. I was meeting with one of their guys at the WSA show and I just didn't see it as a big deal. And I really wish I would have cause I could have, I could have amplified that a lot, but like, I just didn't get it. Like, I, I don't know why it was weird. Well, sometimes it's not, like, it's just not meant to be, you know, you look yeah, back yes. on things that you learn, like, Oh, I didn't do this. Like, well, there's probably a reason I didn't do it. Like you had to learn it as you go. Like now, you know, now you know exactly what to do, you know, but you're in this place. Now you have your own business. That's true. Like, I look at him like, God, I wish I could have talked to that kid, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, have a I have a couple of those moments. <laughs> yeah, my God. Because like, 
I look at what my son's doing and like he would have no idea that what he's doing is amazing but I'm like wait stop look at this you started a year ago now you have an agent you've been in four movies you've done this you've done this you've done this and you've done this on your own like this is amazing and he'll be like oh wow it really is I'm like you know you really need to realize where you are so you can take advantage of it because I was in the room with the top of the top and I had no idea and then that you know when I moved on from that company which that was another jacked up situation like I had just finished the season we were like I said 300 stores including Neiman Marcus I had built it all and at the end of a season you have a meeting for your next season and so when we went to meet for our next meeting uh, the owner of the company said hey I want to talk to you about something I said what's that and he said we finally got Italian manufacturing and I said oh, that was what we had been trying to do for three years because now a $60 shoe is a $300 shoe and uh, I said that's great and he said yeah but they have a designer so I won't need you anymore Oh, man. Just like that. Boom. And I said, "What? why? And he said, you know, it's probably just more me than you, but I kind of think this is the right thing to do right now. The funny thing is that company didn't last two more years. It's it's really crazy that, like, even you, though, at that moment in time, were like, this is what we've been trying to do. And that ended up getting, like, you're losing the job right there. Done. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's so funny, yeah, like, and then, uh, it was like a speed train, like, I was at every shoe show in the world if I wanted to be, I was, I would walk into the fashion square in Scottsdale and I would see my shoes, like, on the walls, and that job went away, and all I had paid attention to was the design part, the creation part, so when it went away... I couldn't even walk into a shoe show anymore because I had no connections. I couldn't buy a pass. I didn't own a store and I didn't own a shoe company. I didn't have a manufacturer's pass. Like I couldn't walk in. I couldn't go to Vegas and walk into the same show that like I was like the youngest designer in just a month ago. And I remember I was in Phoenix trying to get work at a magazine that was out there. And I walked into Nordstrom's and I'm walking through and I look on the wall and I see my shoes there and I had like 50 bucks in my account. I I couldn't afford to buy a pair of shoes that I designed that were on the wall right then. That's crazy. And it's like, it totally broke my heart. I had decided at that point that I was never ever in my young mind going to design for anyone else ever again. I was only going to design for myself. And I sold my house and I took all my equity and I started Undisputed Fitness, which was Santa Fe's first MMA gym. Really? You you started the Undisputed, you started that gym? Yeah, I started Undisputed with Marco Saragon. And that's right when Tate left to the Ultimate Fighter. And then uh, after the Ultimate Fighter and his like year-long tour with Joe Rogan as his bodyguard, he came back and hung out with us. And then he wanted to start a second location um, 
And so he put in the money to start the second location. And we had the one on West Water Street, not West Water, on West Alameda Street. And then the one on Highway 14 in Santa Fe. And then the economy hit. And we went from like a full house to nobody overnight. And we had to shut down the one on Highway 14. And Tay had a little money, so he kept the one on Alameda open. And that's when I had to leave and get that job I told you that I was in for 12 years. Man. (laughs) So, I mean, how do you go, like, you make it sound so easy when you're telling the story, but, like, you've got parents that are, like, drug addicts. So, obviously, they had you. Did they just drop you off at your grandparents all the time? Did you ever know them? Like, how's that? No, yeah, I knew them well. Um, So, it's a close family. So, my grandmother's always trying to help my mom, always trying to help my dad. She's trying to save her kids, right? And uh, my grandmother was amazing and, and a really strong woman. So, but she got to the point where I used to sing. Like, that was my first thing in life. And so when I was about five years old, I started singing. And I ended up singing professionally and touring Mexico and the U.S. And I sang for, like, uh, the good, not uh, the, uh, what you call it, the... Well, anyways, I opened for Julio Iglesias. I sang for Jacqueline Onassis. I had like all this this resume, and it was and it was amazing. And I had a whole team that worked behind me. My pup is coming to say hi. Oh. <laughs> I had a whole team that worked behind me, and uh, and uh, to keep that kind of machine going. And. Um, because of the traveling and because of what I was doing, I spent a lot more time with my grandparents because they were on top of it. And my brother was with my mom more. And I don't think that my grandmother really understood how bad things were. So my brother was going through a lot. And then uh, as we got older, it became more and more apparent that they were doing badly. And then and my brother would be with us like on weekends. And then he would be with us like... Sundays of the week, and it would be a back and forth thing, and then I would be back and forth too, and then uh, one day we went fishing, well, actually, I'll just tell you the story, that's what we're here for, so my grandfather was awesome, like, he would spend his time on the weekends uh, taking us to the dump, but even if it was, like, to the dump, it was an adventure, so he'd drop us off at the road, there's, like, two miles from the dump, and we jump out of the truck, and like he had ha- liked having fit, tough boys. <laughs> so he would take off, and he'd be like, "Get to the dump before I dump this trash." And we'd run through the hills and try to get there before he'd have that trash thrown in the dump, right? And he'd get there and he'd talk to some of the guys that worked there, and he'd hang out. And we'd get there, he'd make us dump all the trash, and then if we wanted to, we would like go explore i know it sounds funny but we go explore and like find old bike frames and wheels and whatever and throw it back in the truck and take that stuff back to the house (laughs) and then make stuff out of it and do things so or he take or we go fishing like that dude went through trucks because he would just roll like it didn't matter he'd be off-roading them and and like getting them stuck out there whatever but he'd like every weekend was an adventure so uh and he's still around he's about 80 years old and he still doesn't stop. He has a girlfriend. He's awesome. So he, uh, 
had taken us and we got back home. And when we got back to the house, beautiful home my grandmother provided, like legit, beautiful, huge southwestern home on an acre of land. It's just amazing. So we got home and she kept it spotless. And there was like a broom thrown and a mop thrown and some other things. And uh, actually, this this is the day before. We got to her, her restaurant. And when I got there, I walked in. And she was sitting there talking to two, gen- two gentlemen. And I walked up to her and she's like, hey, aren't you going to tell your dad hi? So I look over and this guy's like buttoned up, clean cut. Like he always kept a really long mustache. But like clean like look didn't smell like alcohol wasn't high and i'm like hey dad like what's going on and he's like your grandma's gonna help me i'm getting cleaned up like enough is enough i'm going to a rehab and she's like yep i'm gonna pay for it like we're gonna we're gonna handle this he came and asked me for help we're gonna do this so i'm like man that's great well i had a football game my first football game ever that night i had played basketball the season before and my dad had never been to any of my fights, never been to my basketball games. Like, he just didn't show up to those things. So I said, hey, would you be willing to go to my football game? And he said, he said yes, that he would be willing. And that he had to go to Albuquerque, but he'd be back on time. So in my head, I already wrote it off. I'm like, he's not showing up. But cool, whatever. So my grandfather got me to the game. We're warming up, and I look over. And my dad is coming across the park, and this kid's like, who is that? Because as he's walking across the park, he has no shirt on. And I'm like, great, this dude's high for sure, or drunk or something. So uh, she's jacking up my bed. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. I love her so much. (laughs) So anyways, (laughs) she knows she can do bad things. Oh, dogs, dogs always do that. Dogs. I, know. I love so, dogs. We love animals over here. We got four chickens and two dogs. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I grew up with yeah, like everything, a little farm. But so my uh, my dad walks up and he wasn't drunk or high. Hey, Dad, where's your shirt? He said, "Don't worry about it. Focus on your game." I'm like, "All right, whatever." So we play the game, and in New Mexico, it can be a warm day and a freezing night. That's the way it is, right? It could be a warm day and a freezing day in the same day. So it got cold. And he's out there with no shirt, and he's following the downs. He's moving up and down the, and watching me play. I can watch him. He's not sitting. He's moving with the ref or basically with the flag, right, as we're playing and playing. And we lose the game. He didn't care. He gives me this big hug, tells me, man, it was amazing, like, love you, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, cool. So we bounce from the game. He goes with his people. My grandfather takes me home. And uh, my brother comes with us because it's the weekend and we're having our adventures. And uh, my mom was nowhere to be found right then. I think she had another boyfriend or something at that point. And so, which was a good thing. That's why my dad was cleaning up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so we go on another adventure that day, and when we get home, the house is kind of thrown around. I don't, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And we jump on Super Mario Brothers, because like me and my brother. 
and we're playing and uh, my grandmother walks in the house and goes straight to the bedroom and it's a big house so she, you know she walks quite a bit and so we're playing and then I hear my grandfather call my name and I go in there and they say we need you to sit down I sit down and they say uh, they didn't say your dad they said Freddie died today he had an overdose and I was like so he's dead and they said yes and I said okay and I got up and I walked out of the room and when I got back to the couch it was my turn to play Super Mario Brothers so I grabbed my controller and I sat down and I told my brother to go because I needed to talk to him and I kept playing and then he came back and it was his turn to play and so he sat down and he's playing and he said so dad's dead and I said yup and we kept playing that's crazy. No, I, no emotional connection at all. There was no, and so I was sitting there wondering, like, why am I not crying? Why am I not? But I had prepared myself for that day ever since I could remember, because there was times like that. My there was a time my dad got in a fight, and the guy stabbed him through his hand, and then his hand went into his eye, and the knife went into his eye, and like didn't hurt his eye somehow. And he lived, there's like, there's always, like, it's super violent. Like, he got shot one day, and then came and picked me up from school with a bullet hole in his arm, and he was showing me how cool this hole was. Like, so in my head, I'm like, I knew he wasn't going to last forever. So when it happened, I wasn't shocked, but I was shocked as how, how I was taking it. And I was shocked at how my little brother was taking it, but... And then my mom showed up at the house like that night and she was wasted and probably never sobered up till the day she died. But like that was kind of mine and my brother's start. And like my mom ended up marrying that guy and they were both wasted. They moved to Angel Fire, which is in the mountains. They had my brother out there. One day he got a hold of my grandfather and he's like, do you know where my mom is? My grandfather said, well, I haven't, I no. And he's like, he had, they had left him at the house almost three days by himself in the middle of the mountains, like a cabin in the mountains, four feet of snow. So my grandfather ran out there, picked him up, and he was like, that's it. Like, he lives with us. And so from that point on, me and my brother grew up together in their home. And then my freshman year in high school, my grandmother got a heart attack. She lived through it, but we were stuck in we were stuck without any help and so she for like a week and so she went and bought me a car and said from now on it's your job to get your brother to school pick him up get him to practice pick him up from practice that's that and uh that was the end of me playing football or any of those things because now I had to do that and so my grandfather noticed that and he he put me in a kickboxing school that trained after six. And so I was back, like, still doing my athletic stuff, just back in the fight game instead of, like, the team game. And that's kind of, you know, from there on, we, like, I made it through high school, went on, which was, I'm totally dyslexic, like, terribly dyslexic. So me graduating from high school was a big deal. <laughs> and then graduating from college was, like, unheard of. Like, I couldn't even believe it. And, uh, and yeah, man, like my brother ended up, I ended up going to college and playing basketball and football and like 
he's self-made. Dude's straight up self-made millionaire. Has killed it. He's amazing. And uh, we just kind of it was it was it was it was a weird world because we saw both, but we've kind of survived and thrived, I guess, a little bit. Like yes, yeah, well, more than me. It, well, <laughs> more than you. Well, yeah, like, he's, like, he's like, bro, I bought another Lambo. I'm like, dude, that's sick. And they're like, ridiculous whips. And I'm like, that's really nice. And I thought, don't feel bad. Your kids are your Lambos. I'm like, whatever, dude. Well, it's, it's just like it, the story's got so many different turns. And like, but then you hear, when you hear the story, you don't think of like, you're just telling it. And the look on your face is like, well, I mean, we just did this and that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, but your dad got stabbed through the hand and in the eye and has a gunshot and he dies of an overdose and mom's all whacked out on drugs. And like, most people don't take that so well. I guess your grandparents did like a really good job of of taking care of you and taking you out of that situation early. Kind of. I mean, so my grandmother, like my grandmother was tough. She grew up in... And my grandfather, like, they grew up in the Depression. Oh, that's all. Yeah, so did my grandparents, yeah. You know what I mean? So these yeah. are, like, these people aren't afraid of anything. They're they're different. They, they Just being around them, this that explains a lot, because just being around them, uh, my grandparents, I learned so much about life. Like, yeah. real life, like, things that people don't have to deal, even remotely have to deal with, you know? No, like, and so, like, my grandmother, like... I would see her deal with it and the way she handled it. And then when I got older and she was getting older, I mean, I was in high school and she'd be like, I haven't heard from your mom in a week. You need to go find her. And so I would get in my car and I would drive to Española and I would go to these terrible places like, like crack houses basically. Like, and I would walk into them like a, a teenage boy and these men like, they didn't want me there. And I would walk past them to a back room somewhere and find my mom, like, laying in a bed somewhere with needles to her side and be like, come here, we're leaving, and I'd pull her out. And then I'd go outside and be like, we have a sister. I'd be like, where's my sister? And she'd be like, she's playing with the kids. And I'd look over and, like, trying to figure out, because these kids are so dirty, I couldn't figure out which one was my, my sister. And, like... <clears throat> That's like, so I guess like, I don't know, like I just did it. And it was like, I, my grandmother wasn't afraid to send me into that. And for some reason I survived it and I like went and came out, but it for sure, absolutely 100%. Like I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I don't mess with any of that. Like at the end of the day, I saw like where, how far that can go. And there is, like, it's just not a good time to me. No, I mean, you got to see it firsthand, like, with yeah, everything. Yeah, like, I've seen how it takes lives. I've seen how people will live through it, and it takes their life. Like, so, you know, like, there's a lot of people in this world, and they have a drink or a few drinks, have a good time on the weekends, whatever, and they're good. And I don't have any judgment towards any of it. But for me... It just left such a bad taste in my mouth that, like, I don't know. And, like, and my brother went the other way. Like, he's like he's totally responsible and cool, but that dude owns nightclubs. 
<laughs> so like, like that's like he's around it day and night, you know. Yeah. And me, I, I like, I kind of just, I can't be around it like that. Like, there was a part of my life where I was like a bouncer to try to make ends meet, where I was like in those environments, and it wasn't too bad. But like, and I don't really mind those environments. Just like the act of doing it, like I'm like, oh, I have better stuff to do. Like, spend my money on lights for my kids. <laughs> Uh, audition space in my bedroom <laughs> well you think like that background of you growing up helps you with like like the message you give to your kids so much uh, I don't know if they like really believe how crazy it was because my kids have lived a pretty blessed life like my kids are rich I'm not my kids are <laughs> like they travel the world for races they travel the country they each of them like their bikes are ridiculous uh, if they want to do something and they believe in it, like there's a piano in my bedroom. I don't play piano, but my daughter wants to learn the piano. There's a piano in my bedroom. Like there's a violin. Like, like I'm, I really do as much as I can. And they're good kids. Like they're not spoiled brats. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if they really get it. Like before you and I got on the phone when I was like, give me 10 minutes, my little one was sitting there to the side of me just furious because she hadn't eaten yet after school and i'm like baby you know you can live like like a month without food and you still live like you're fine and her her older sister my other daughter is like yeah but we're privileged dad and we can't go an hour without eating that's funny i'm like you're not that privileged girl (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i don't think they really get like and i don't know if they have to like i don't think you have to go through those things to to do awesome things in your life like it just happened to be what i went through but well i mean we didn't go through the depression but we respect it so i mean there's a as long as you respect that struggle i think is part of the process it's when you don't respect like where you could go what could happen and where people have been and what they've done is where you get in trouble I mean, in my opinion, that's that's the way I look at it. Because, I mean, I wouldn't want to go through the depression. I mean, I don't want to earn those kind of stripes, you know? Imagine, right? Yeah, no. I mean, my grandmother explained, like, they had my great-grandfather, he came from Spain on a boat by himself. And he became a very successful sheep herder in the, in the mountains out here in Albuquerque. And then he did that in wine. He made wine successful enough to bring his brothers over and they became like business people and then they had kids and uh my great-grandfather had five children all of them were successful um but it didn't matter that he was successful when they were kids because money didn't mean anything anymore yeah so the fact that they had sheep and wine is what made them get through to another day. That's they not have something to barter. No joke. No yeah. joke. And that, and that's like, so like in the, the reason my grandpa started a food service wasn't because he was like crazy into food. It was literally because living through the depression, he's like the one thing that you will be safe with if this hits is if you have food. Right? Yeah. It's a true yeah, story. Well, he used to tell us all like, the time. Yeah, like his way of hoarding almost, right? Like, I'm going to start a business with food. Yeah. And so, and then my grandmother, you know, food again. She went into the restaurant business. 
And she killed it. Like she was featured on Good Morning America. She was in Sunset Magazine, The New York Times. Dude, this lady didn't even finish ninth grade. That's awesome, man. She bought a million dollar home. She raised three generations, like her sisters, her her kids, me and my brother, to the point where even when she was alive, she didn't raise my kids, but when they were babies, she was still there for them. Like she so look at like I don't know, man. Like that that kind of strength is something else. So so anyways I've had like this amazing life. Like I really have. I've been blessed and it's been a hard life, but it wouldn't have been as amazing if it was just easy, right? Yeah, no, and not at all. So and so uh I really started to panic when well, okay, so I'll tell you a lesson I learned and then this. So a lesson I learned, I was sitting with my grandmother and uh, we were just talking the way we would do. And I said, hey, if you were to, like, she was almost 80 years old. They said, if you were to stop right now and just think about your entire life and uh, and then stop when you get to today, how long do you think that would take you? And she said, I don't know. And I said, all right, well, I have time. So let's try it. I'll time you. And she was so cool. Like she was always down, right? And she's like, all right, let's do it. So she started, she closed her eyes and I watched the clock and it ran around once. And at 60 seconds, she opened her eyes and said, done. And I was like, wait, are, are you serious? This is a 70, at that point, I think she was 78 years old. And so I realized right then and there, like, this whole life, we're creating about a 60-second reel. And that's what we get to take with us. What do you want in your reel? What do you want there? That's a crazy so, question. To think of it that way is pretty crazy. If you think about it that way, like it becomes real easy to start making decisions. Yeah, it right? does. I mean, and and I guess I can see where it comes from, like that, what you're saying right there, because everything's a little snippet. That's like the thing. Your memory only la- like the memory of the thing is only a moment, like yeah, a couple seconds maybe, well, maybe, maybe. maybe. Right? You know the me- the actual it, it, memory it, it, of what it is. Like you think something. of it and it's done. So yeah, sixty seconds, man. Our minds are so fast, right? Yeah. And so when I, she said, yeah, I guess so, because that's all I have. So she passed two years later. Um, so I think about that, and I'm like, all right, my 60 seconds, what is that going to look like? And, and uh, so when I was reaching 40 years old, um, it was a weird part, because my whole life, like, before I took that job, I was ripped. Like I was a competitive fighter most of my life. So being fit was just how I lived. And looking good, like I would walk around in khaki pants and a white t-shirt with with Chucks or Sambas in the business meetings and feel like the dopest dude in the room. (laughs) But it was just because I had that confidence. Yeah. After a few years of being on the road, 
and working day and night and not sleeping or whatever, I was like, dude, I'm getting, I'm turning into a fat ass. And I did. I got up to 296 pounds. And so I'm, I'm a bigger guy. Like I fought at anywhere between 199 to 215, but like 296, like that was a fat ass. And so, uh, I was miserable and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Like I didn't have the time anymore. I couldn't get to sleep anymore. I, I wasn't eat, figuring out how to eat on the road right. I was like going through all these different things. And my homies, like the Tate Fletchers and the Marco Sadagones and my brother, and like they would call me out on it because they weren't used to that, Chacho. Like they were used to the dude that was with them, like ripped and together and like killing it. And, and so they call me out and it would be in a teasing way, but I'd hold that heavy. Like that was a rough part. That's probably one of the roughest things I ever went to. So I'm, I'm approaching 40. I'm dealing with all that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, like, do all the adventures end now? Like, this is like, what happens after that time? And, and I started to panic a little bit. And so instead of panicking, I designed a brand called First Step 40. And I came up with this concept. And I talked to my business partner about it. And she was like, that's amazing. I love it. I want to do it. She's younger than me. So she's, she can't do it yet. But um, I just sat down and wrote some goals. And I was like, these goals aren't things like I'm going to go skydiving. Cause that's like, it, it takes like a few days of skill to start doing that. Maybe the goal could be like, I'm going to skydive solo or get to a point where I can, uh, base jump. Like then you've developed something, right? But like just going tandem, like, ah, it's cool, but it's not, that's not a first at 40 goal. So the ones I made were like, my kids were racing BMX and I was sitting there getting fat. So I was like, I'm going to race BMX. Like I'm going to get to a point where I can make it around that track. And it's, it's terrifying and it's exhausting. <laughs> and so I bought a bike and I started working on that. And then uh, I had a mountain bike already. And so I started mountain biking more. And so I said, I want to get good at this. That's another one of my goals. And then I said, you know what? I want to, I want to build a business and I want to make that great. And that was one of my goals. And, and, uh, and I have others like that I remember down the road, but I want to, be fit again feel fit again right and so I started plugging those things into my life but I didn't really like rep it it's just doing it for me but every single person I talked to about it that was either approaching 40 literally in their 30s or post 40 or in that year they would, would relate to it like oh my god I want to do that and so I thought you know I'm going to make this page in 2020 and I'm not going to make it for me. I'm going to make it for people to tag and talk about their goals. And hopefully we can create a community where we can even start helping each other. So if someone's like, I really want to learn jujitsu. I've been wanting to learn my whole life. I'm afraid to walk in because it's terrifying. And I know it is. I get terrified to this day. Walking into a jujitsu gym, walking into a boxing gym, walking is terrifying but I want to do it. And someone like me can say like, cool, I'll meet you at Starbucks and I'll take you with me and my friends and you're going to be safe. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's attainable, right? Or I want to learn how to mountain bike, but I don't even know what bike to buy. Cool. I know all that. 
I learned my trial and error, but I can help you. Let's go to this shop. Whatever it is, and I'm like, man, if we could create that kind of community with something like this, like it could really make a difference in people's lives and cost none of us anything. Yeah, it's Instagram so, page is free. It's free. And and so whether it's a little advice or whether it's like come do what I do or whatever it is, like I thought my competitive athlete days were gone. And like my goal this year is to become an expert on a BMX bike. That's crazy. Like I can't get no higher than that than expert unless I go pro. Like this is a completely new sport that I started two and a half years ago. I never did it before. Well, that's actually how I found you is that uh, your son, I didn't even know you were father and son at the time. Right. Uh, I was just scrolling through and because I used to BMX dirt jump and then like was into it as a kid and there was some old tracks that were like not taken care of that we used to just play on. But Rad was my favorite movie. I watched it like 7,000 times. Right. And, and so... I've just been into it since a little kid. Like it speaks to like good old days type of thing. And I, I saw, uh, uh, what's your son name? Robbie? Well, Robel. Yeah. Robel. Okay. Yeah, Robel. I was trying to remember his name, like seeing his page, but I see him on a, like he's on a bike on my like popular page. So I look at, it, I was like, Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know they still did that, you know? And so yeah. I followed him and then, it would go through my feed, and then I saw you, and I was like, "Man, he's there's another racer. There's two of them out there." And then, so I, right. click, you know, I click on that, and then this whole first at forty came through. And I was like, "I heard you talk for the first time," and I'm going, "Oh, this is pretty sweet, man. Like this guy's like, re- this is a real thing that's going on yeah. out there." So it it was super cool to see that because I I I fall in line with you in this, except I haven't ever lost. I love doing new things. New things are what in, it's almost like if I do something too long, like an activity, I want yeah. to go do something in that beginner's mindset all the time. Figuring right. out the puzzle is so much fun. It is. And it, it gives you a, a courage. Yeah. That most people like, if you only do what you're good at your whole life, cool. Good for you. Like you probably end up at the Olympics or something. Right. And, but if say you're just not that guy, or maybe you just don't have the skills to get to that level in anything. If you spend your life learning, you're going to have such a fulfilled experience, probably just as fulfilled as the person who did make it to the Olympics or did perform in front of 60,000 people or did become uh, a governor of a state or a president of a country. Right. Cause like, you're, you're going to have your victories. You're going to have your challenges. You're going to have all those things. And it might be in a broader section, like more shotgunned. But, I mean, it's got to be one or the other as far as I'm concerned. Like, either be great at one thing, so great that it brings you the world and it brings you experience. And it, like, my little girl, my little one, is a – Cisco's a – Robel, he's a great athlete. Like, he's – He's amazing, but he doesn't care that much about being competitive. He likes to learn stuff, and when he's like almost the best guy or the best guy, he goes to learn something else. And it's because since he was a little kid, I would put him in situations that he knew nothing about and he'd have to try to get good at them. So at BMX, he went from nothing to expert in one year. 
that's 30 wins in one 30 first place wins in one year that's crazy it, it's ridiculous and he had a lot of help he had he had pros that like took him under their wing and helped him the next year we went to grand nationals and he was invited to race in the race of champions he raced it and he won so now, now he's ranked number one in the country by winning the ROCs. And this is just like year two, I think, in the sport for him. And then uh, this year, he got on four movies. He's been working towards his acting thing. And he's like, Dad, this is what I'm going to focus on. All right, but it's just going to be for fun. And I'm like, all right. Well, meanwhile, the little one, my 11-year-old, she made the U.S. world team last year. And, and, uh, and that was like unbelievable. And so she's kind of kept that athletic thing going. And then my middle one plays the violin and the piano. And she also rides BNX. She's amazing, runs track, but she's like a little more diverse in her, her interests. So I don't know. I look at him and I'm like, Teo could be the one that ends up at the Olympics for BMX. Because she is, like, laser-focused, that little girl. Robel is focused on his acting stuff, and he has the right people in his corner to help him do it. Like, he talks to Tate all the time. He's, like, so he has – he's not connected like like a big Hollywood family would be, but he's, he's going to find his way in. Um, I think Tatiana is more like me, where, like, she's good at things, but she's so diverse in her – stuff that she'll probably just continue to create amazing experiences throughout her life and have a collection and that's super cool too that is really cool man it's really it sounds like everybody's uh, and i don't think it's it's not bad one way or the other like i mean you have your path that you're gonna go on and you gotta enjoy it i mean like you said a 60 second clip man like right what you got you better enjoy that ride that better be a lot of like happy 60 seconds you know what i mean and so I agree. whatever you, whatever it is that, that like if kickboxing brings you joy, if you just, if riding dirt bikes, you know, if it's, it's whatever it is, it's whatever, like, if you like to try new stuff, go try new stuff. Like, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, or, or like, if you've never tried something new, like, then you don't know. So yeah. go try something and then, and it could be anything like there's a new pizza spot out here that has cauliflower pizzas. And they have board games in there. And I walked in and there's a whole different culture. Like, these people are like, <laughs> like, just like, these board gamers. Not gamers, but board gamers. Like, you're and, like and a I bunch of hipsters. With my, like, super athletic kids. <laughs> and and uh, they're kind of looking at us like, huh. And, you know, we sat down and the girls are like, can we get a game? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And before we know it, we're just like chilling with all these peeps. And like, it is something new. And yeah, it was awkward at first to walk in there. But like, I don't know. I feel like you got to do it. Like, it's a better place. Like, if you diversify your understanding, you can get along with more people. You have less chance of putting people in a box when it's like you can have relating factors. And I think that's probably like a huge part of that so i mean that's that's like if you really think of it that's your childhood 
Like, yeah. you got to see everything. You got to see all of it. Like, you got to see every different sort of part of life. Like, you know, so you you got a chance to make a choice, but you also got a chance to understand all the sides of it. Like, truly right. understand it. It's like travel does that for, for me in a lot of instances and trying new things. Like, you understand a different part of the world. Like, right. how people act, what they're doing, how hard it is. I thought mountain biking, I told this story a bunch of times, but I thought mountain biking was so, like, as a BMX guy, I was like, oh, that's for guys who just can't do BMX stuff. Like, that's silly, you know? And right. then I did mountain biking for the first time later on in life in Colorado. Just a small little mountain, you know? And I was yeah. like, I'm so glad I didn't die right now. Because I didn't wear a helmet. I was like, I don't need that. It's stupid. I got this all day. And then I was like, these guys are the craziest guys. I've, I, I don't know how I didn't know this as a kid that these guys right. are way crazier than what I was doing. What I was doing was the easy part. These guys are insane, you know? So you, you don't you live in your own little bubble in your own little hole. You don't really you don't realize or fully grasp the talent, the experience, the culture or anything unless you go and try it. Exactly. I agree. So that's kind of the first at forty motto, right? Is go and try it. Like and it's like no judgment. Like if it's something you did when you were a little kid and you want to do it again, then do that. It doesn't have to be new, but like just don't stop doing new things and doing things. Um, I think the mind is like super strong. The minute we tell ourselves we're too old for something, we are. So we got to stop that and just be like, let's go. And like I have proof. Like my grandfather's eighty years old. That dude is all around the state singing, talking about culture, changing people's lives. He's, he protects the land grants out here. He has a political agenda. He, he makes changes in the community. Um, he's 80. <laughs> That's crazy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> you would never know. Like, cause to him, he's just like, he's going to use it all up. Like he's not going to die sitting in a chair somewhere. Dude, that's that, and that's a way to go, man. Like, just go with stuff and do stuff until you can't, like, until your yeah. your body just actually gives out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I dig this whole like I I dig what your what the first at forty is about. I I really like it a lot. Um, and the learning new things, not just the. I think that's what I liked most about it is what you talked about. Not just going skydiving or doing something new. It's learning it, like learning a skill. You know, yes. like you can't go into jujitsu class. I, I've done. I've gone in, and you like you can't go into that, and you can't just get it right off the bat. This no. is something that has to be repeated over and over and over and over again because it's so minute. You have to learn that skill. Um, anything like weightlifting, you want to go into Olympic weightlifting. It's a skill. Like there's so many technical pieces and parts that are in there, and it's a, it, forever. You'll be learning this thing. Um, anything yeah. like that. And those are the things that keep your mind running, that keep them activated, and keeps you younger. Yes. And it makes you part of another subculture. Yeah. Like the jiu-jitsu fam that you all put together in a jiu-jitsu gym, like people will go through life without knowing that connection. And that's a sad thing. Like to this day... I have people that maybe I haven't seen for eight years that I can hit up like I need help or I need this or I need that or they can hit me up and I'm going to be there for them because that connection runs deep. Um, 
and I guess anytime you suffer with someone, right, like from CrossFit to any of the difficult things we do in life, like that we who were stoic, right? Stoic moments. Yep. I think those stoic moments really create unity. And so like it's not just the actual activity, it's the bonus material that you get. Like being close with people, learning how to interact with people, like learning how to like man, I see a like a kid's having a hard time in life and he's like kind of messing up and maybe a trash attitude and those kind of things I'm like put that kid in a jiu-jitsu room not because I want him to get beat up I want him to feel what it feels like to be loved by like other men that are gonna like say no dude that's not cool don't do that why are you doing that and and explain that to him or or work with him on that all while challenging him physically and then all of a sudden he becomes more uh, what's the word? The word is it has more confidence, and that confidence starts to spew. And guess what? This bad attitude boy turns into a or girl turns into like a much nicer, kind person and humbled humble. because and hum like humility is something too. Like confidence with humility in the combination, you can have both. Like you can be humble and understand that you can get your butt whooped. Yes. You know what I mean? Like in anything. And and my, I chose CrossFit because at the time I had a choice. Like I had friends over there. I couldn't afford both. And I was like, man, I really want to try this and go to this jujitsu tournament that they're going to. You know, I really, I was starting to meet people and like kind of get yeah. friends over there. But then like I've met friends over here at this CrossFit gym and I can't afford both. And so I chose the CrossFit side. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. But it's, it's more of the, like you go through that struggle with people you get your butt whooped in a CrossFit competition at a workout. You get it whooped in a jujitsu thing. Whatever it is, you, sometimes you need to get your butt whooped. You know what you I mean? Do. And you need to learn the short memory. Yeah. You know? Yes. Like it's, yes. It's over. Right? Yeah. That's how I teach my girls, and that's why, like, I think sports are so important for kids. Like, my girls don't cry. They don't throw a fit. Well, I'll tell them, she has a rough race. <laughs> she'll cry, but she'll cry out of being mad. Yeah. But and, and it should be pissed, right? But but I mean, I, I just say it. Short memory, and they take a breath, and boom. Where are we going to go? Eat? What are we doing next? Room, you know, and we move on with our day. And I think that that's probably a, one of the most important components. But um, you nailed it. Like those experiences won't happen if we don't put ourselves in those situations and learning something new is a stoic behavior and I think that's what like keeps us young keeps us with longevity and is so rewarding so that's what it's all about like I'm just reminding people that at this maybe halfway point in your life don't like it's not time to go downhill you have a lot of life left right Heck yeah. Like Gary V says, he's like, bro, like I'm young. <laughs> and, and it's so true. Like my goal 16 years ago, no, 15 years ago, when I saw my boy running around undisputed, like pushing the bags, the, the Muay Thai bags, he'd push them and then he'd try to run past them before they'd hit him. And one of the bags hit him and it sent him rolling across the mat. And then he stood up and then he went and did it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like, that little animal, that little thing right there is going to grow up. And I need to be tough enough to hang with him. <laughs> yeah. 
yes, dude. And so I made a goal right then and there. Like when he's 18, I need to be able to roll with him. I need any sport he's doing. I need to be able to hang. Like, and like, if that dude goes riding, he hits me up and is like, Hey Dan, let's go ride. If he wants to go to jujitsu, he hits me up and he's like, Hey, meet me at the jujitsu gym. If he wants to hit the gym, like he'll hit me up or he'll be like, Hey, give me a watt. I want to do like, so <clears throat> me making that commitment then created a bond. That's like, ridiculous also and now i'm like i'm looking at my 11 year old who's my youngest and i'm like all right that little girl's probably going to be an olympic athlete like she made the u.s world team on her bike like she's legit this season she's already undefeated first places um if she continues on her path she'll be at that level so I'm like i want to try to hang with her i know i'm not going to the olympics but I wanted to think of me when she's going to go ride. <laughs> so like seven years, <laughs> seven years, I got to, I got to keep it going. I love it, man. All right. Well, tell everybody like, again, remind them where they can find this first at 40 thing. If you want to plug any of your branding stuff or whatever, let everybody know where they can find you on all the platforms. So, uh, my page personally is Chacha Soul. Uh, you can find me anywhere, Facebook, Instagram, even uh, TikTok. <laughs> oh, that got to follow you. I got to follow you on TikTok. TikTok, uh, you, everybody may be la- like, they laugh, but I, I love that thing. I'm going to get good at it. <laughs> it's so much like, fun. Like, yeah, you got to do this. You'll blow up. I'm like, all right, I'm trying. So TikTok, uh, <laughs> um, the first app 40 is on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, on Instagram, it's official first at 40. Facebook, it's just first at 40. Uh, 40 with the number 40. Um, and really, guys, like anyone who sees this is inspired by it. The page is for you. Just tag it. I will post. And hopefully we can help each other want to do new things, find new things, and talk about the things we want to do and maybe – get help in, in pursuing that idea, dream, whatever it is. Um, it doesn't have to be just athletic. I don't care if you want to make a movie. I don't care if you want to write and sing a song for the first time or try to do a painting. Um, maybe you want to build a lowrider. I don't know. But for everything somebody wants to do and it knows nothing about, there's somebody out there who has done it and knows everything about it. And so if we can share that, I just think it'd be an amazing opportunity for us to grow. And that's, that's it. That's what I'm doing with this. Right on, man. All right. Well, I'm going to tag everything in the show notes and then I'm going to start tagging my stuff, the first of 40 stuff too. Um, awesome, all the stuff in there. So we'll get to see I it. Agree. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you for doing this, Chacho. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Go support all of Chacho's stuff. First at 40 on Instagram. Go over there and follow him on Instagram and Facebook. Go to the website. Check out the coffee. And until next time, see ya.